Welcome into a special crossover episode. Uh, we like to get the crossovers going in the off season. Matt George is alongside me from Locked On Kings. I'm Kane Pittman from Locked On Bucks. And uh, you may sit back and think, why are the Bucks and Kings doing a crossover? But this is not for the first time because there's been trades. There's been trades that went through then didn't happen. But they all centered around one man, Dante DiVincenzo. So we're going to find out uh, how his short period with the Kings went. Uh, what the potential offseason might bring for the Kings and the Bucks as well, and talk about uh, our guy, Dante DiVincenzo. Let's get started. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to a crossover episode of Locked On Bucks slash Locked On Kings. I'm Kane Pittman. That's Matt George. And for both shows, we thank everyone for making Locked On Bucks or Locked On Kings your first watch or your first listen of every day. And uh, Matt, first of all, it's lovely to catch up with you in the evening over there, in the morning over here. What's been happening, man? It's an absolute pleasure. Well, it's draft time here, as this time of the year usually is for the Sacramento Kings. I was just saying on uh, on my most recent Locked on Kings episode that, of course, we'd rather the Kings be playing in the NBA Finals at this point. Hell, we'd rather the Kings be playing in the NBA playoffs, period, after 16 years. But this time of the year for the draft, it always is exciting. There's always the, the unknown, the hope, the possibility, especially with the Kings moving up to four in the draft lottery. They have another opportunity dropping into their lap. Last time they did that, hmm. It didn't go so well, so maybe uh, maybe this time will be different. But it's a great time of year right now. Yeah, that's interesting because we've discussed uh, the Bucks. Let's say outside of Giannis, we'll take Giannis. That was a pretty good draft selection. But outside of that, uh, things haven't gone too well for the Bucks in the draft. In fact, uh, they haven't really been involved in the draft all that much in recent years. Their last first round pick was Dante Divincenzo. So it's a little bit interesting right now for the Bucks because it's it's a Tough offseason financially. They don't have a lot of room to move. They're trying to stay in that contender status. But for the Kings, I'm curious what you think the mood is generally like within the fan base. As you said, this is something that you've uh, dealt with a few times over the last decade, let's say decade plus of going to the draft, probably the hope, uh, expectations of what could happen in the offseasons. How would you assess uh, the mood right now in the Kings camp? Well, there's definitely a lot of excitement with the Kings moving up to four, but there's also a lot of, you know, cautious optimism to, uh, to that as well. I would say at least the vocal minority of Sacramento Kings fans, they like myself and like many others in Sacramento, we need to be shown that the Kings can do it right. We need to be shown that the Kings can be competent. Now that's not to say that they haven't had moves and moments over the last 16 years that have been good, have been solid, but can you string some together? Can you build off of the, the couple of trades that you made at the trade deadline? One of them being acquiring Dante DiVincenzo as part of the three-team three team trade, the main trade being getting DeMontis Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers. Can you build off of that by using this fourth pick to 
to add a really good player or surround De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis with a group of good players. We heard there's a playoff mandate in Sacramento. I have no issue with that because basically this, the moment they acquired DeMontis Sabonis and his two years left on his contract, they basically had a playoff mandate for those two years to convince him to re-sign or they traded Tyrese Halliburton for absolutely nothing. Uh, so there is a lot of optimism there's a lot of hope there as there kind of seems to be every single year but there's also very much the the air of Kane I'll believe it when I see it (laughs) so when you talk about high draft picks and let's go to this trade now so uh, by the way I've said this before when we've podcasted there is a classic episode back in the archive somewhere where we discuss what Dante DiVincenzo is going to bring to the Sacramento Kings uh, within 24, 36 hours, that episode was no longer valid, but it's still up there if anyone wants to go back. There's lots of Bogdanovich chat as well. Uh, but this trade finally did go down, and it was a four-teamer. So basically, the main pieces for, for our teams anyway, the Bucks got Serge Barker. That didn't really work out. He didn't. He wasn't really needed, actually, once Brook Lopez came back and was healthy. But you can understand the thinking of why they wanted to go down that path. But for the Kings, Dante DiVincenzo felt like the main guy, I felt like they really did have an interest in him for an extended period of time. But it was interesting to do this almost two seasons later or a season and a half later when he is going to be heading into uh, restricted free agency. So for the Kings, it, you know, it, it still did make sense to get a, a look at Dante through the back end of the season. But when the trade first went down and you did acquire DiVincenzo along with a couple of other players, Trey Lyles, jo- Josh Jackson, what did you think about the opportunity that he would have uh, on this Kings team? Well, I mean, for me personally, there was a lot of excitement when I saw DiVincenzo coming to Sacramento because I knew he'd been a target for the Kings for for a couple of years. Monty McNair, one of the first moves he tried to make was that Bogdan Bogdanovich (laughs) sign and trade uh, to Milwaukee. And in a lot of ways, Dante DiVincenzo on paper is what the Sacramento Kings are looking for. A defensive presence, a guard that works hard on both uh, sides of the floor, can space the floor. I know his shooting numbers haven't been the best and he hasn't necessarily gotten back to where he was at before uh, his injury, but... I mean, I saw Marvin Bagley as much of a fan I was of, of Marvin Bagley's and as hopeful as we all were in Sacramento that Marvin Bagley uh, would work out. I saw Marvin as not negative value, but just completely dead neutral value when the Kings moved on from him. I did not expect the Kings to get anything of significance in return. So the fact that they found a way to acquire Dante DiVincenzo as part of that deal, uh, I, I was impressed with that. I was excited about that. Um, well, I'm sure we'll go into DiVincenzo's time with Sacramento over the handful of games uh, after the trade deadline. Of course, the Kings didn't, didn't really go anywhere, and DiVincenzo certainly has question marks around him. But I believe the Kings make that move with the belief that they're going to be bringing DiVincenzo back. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that you want a guy for two years, you get him, and after 18 or a handful or whatever, however many games it was, you decide to just let him go, unless a team comes in and offers so much money that the Kings would be fools to uh, to match. But I don't know if DiVincenzo has that kind of market value. So I personally expect DiVincenzo to be wearing Kings purple for at least the next couple of seasons. So just with Bagley quickly, and I, I think I've discussed this with you before, but uh, it did seem, yeah, certainly from the outside, that everyone was just like, all right, whatever. Let's, let's move on from, from this situation. Clearly it didn't seem like it was going too well. But I think there is always some pain if you're a fan base about someone that was drafted so highly and and not working out uh so was that the general consensus that this was at this point I mean certainly if you went back a few years ago you would have hoped if you were going to move on from him you might get something 
uh, more in return. But given the situation, it seemed uh, like you, you get a rotation player back and someone that is not a problem in the locker room is going to be happy to be there and happy to play. Yeah, Bagley's departure needed to happen. I mean, yeah. it, I think it made the move easier. What made the move easier was the fact that the Sacramento Kings at least seemed to have some sort of direction. Um, the Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis trade brought a lot of excitement, also brought a lot of concern too, because there are a lot of Tyrese Halliburton fans in Sacramento who didn't necessarily like the trade. So Bagley being moved after that was almost kind of an afterthought. But also what made it easier was the guy who drafted Marvin Bagley, that front office regime led by Vladi Divots. They've been gone for a while. So it's not like the guy who drafted him was the one who had to trade him away. Um, yeah, the, the Bagley departure just needed to happen. It clearly didn't work for both sides. It was best for both sides, I think, to move on. I think Marvin has a possibility to be something. I don't know what that is, but he can be something with the Detroit Pistons. Or if they don't bring him back and he goes somewhere else, like I still think Marvin Bagley can be a really solid NBA player if he stays healthy, but there are just too many question marks. His timeline is not the same as the Kings' timeline right now. So it was a, it was a breakup that needed to happen. Yeah. It, it, the point about the front office is really interesting. We were talking about uh, decisions that the Bucks have made and John Horst, the GM, over the over previous years. And one of the moves we mentioned was uh, the Bucks essentially saying to Jabari Parker, again, a number two pick, and we're not paying you. You go do whatever you need to do. And he just walked to Chicago, which has to be a pretty painful move. And I wondered that, you know, if John Horst was the GM back then that made the draft pick, uh, would he be as willing to do that? Maybe not, because there is obviously those those personal ties that you have with these players, or you want your investment to work out. You don't want to look bad anyway. That's the that's the uh, main point here. But uh, speaking of not looking bad, uh, feeling your best starts with what you eat, Matt. And Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle, and you'll truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Now is the time to seek wellness, joy, and abundance in all areas of life, starting with what you eat. With Sakara, you get nutrient-dense meals, snacks, and supplements that nourish your body without ever sacrificing taste or quality. So uh, looking and feeling your best shouldn't mean deprivation. Instead, choose joy and abundance. Sakara's organic, plant-rich, transformational nutrition, nutrition programs, as I mentioned, are designed to help you cultivate body intelligence so you can nourish your body and experience the results you want. Uh, Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as, me- as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of of plants using plant rich ingredients and right now sakara is offering our listeners 20 percent of their first order when they go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter locked on 20 at checkout that's s-a-k-a-r-a.com slash locked on 20 to get 20 percent off your first order uh, that's sakara uh, we have a listener survey i'm told matt and yeah uh, which <laughs> Which, you know, I, I always, I, I've mentioned this, uh, we want the good feedback, but the negative feedback, uh, you know, we also need to hear about that, uh, particularly, not with you, Matt, probably more so with me. Uh, but if you want to get involved, <clears throat> get involved with the listener survey, go to lockedonpodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take our audience survey. Go to lockdownpodcast.com slash survey. We appreciate the help. All right, let's get to the point, the, the main events of this podcast. Dante DiVincenzo, what did you think? You played 25 games, around 10 points per game, four rebounds, three and a half assists. So 
generally those numbers are about where he's been with the Bucks. although the minutes were up. He was playing about 26, 27 minutes per game. So you, you definitely got a decent look at him on the back end of the season here. Yeah, I think there was maybe overall disappointment with DiVincenzo on the offensive end of the floor, uh, creating his own shot, creating his own opportunity. He did not shoot the ball well. Uh, However, in catch-and-shoot scenarios, catch-and-shoot situations, he did shoot the ball well, and he played significantly better. And and what's important to note here is that the majority of these minutes and games that Dante DiVincenzo played for Sacramento at the second half of the season – most of them were without De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, who both kind of finished the season out uh, either hurt or in uh, COVID protocols and, and things of that nature. So uh, it's I don't think it was a true look at what Dante DiVincenzo can be with the Sacramento Kings, which is kind of what I'm, 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 I'm hanging my hope on. Now, I did like the rebounding that he provides as a guard because the Kings have been a weak rebounding team just period. So any position that can help them with rebounding is definitely a plus. And defensively, he did have some moments, especially alongside Davion Mitchell, who really came into his own in the second half of the season. They played a lot together. Uh, And the two of them uh, provided the Kings with some dynamic backcourt defensive looks and and opportunities uh, from time to time. Would love to see that be more sustained. I think Dante DiVincenzo has a very good chance of being the the starting two guard for the Kings going forward. I'm anxious to see what he could look like in that role next to De'Aaron Fox uh, and DeMontis Sabonis, who draw so much attention from him that he hopefully would have a lot of free reign or a lot of opportunity on the perimeter. But I also wouldn't be surprised at all if the Kings are looking to improve at that position, get a better starter and consider bringing him off the bench. Well, I guess tell how much they value him based off of how much they, they negotiate to pay him, what they end up agreeing to, what they end up matching or letting him walk this offseason. Yeah, he definitely is someone that's quite clearly comfortable coming off the bench. He's done it yeah, in college, <clears throat> did it with the Bucks as well. Uh, for sure. But the shooting numbers are interesting. And again, I didn't see a lot of his play with the Kings, but the 46% at the rim in particular is uh, not something that's that's shocking. It, it's been weird that it's actually gone down through his career in terms of his finishing at the rim. And he was 46% uh, with the Bucks this year as well. And again, he didn't play a lot of games, but uh, not great. Uh, that's that's terrible, actually. And, and this has been certainly a problem with him. The one thing I've always said with DiVincenzo he doesn't really have any problems getting to the spot. And there's so many times where he'll get to the rack, he'll get into the paint, and you're like, okay, he should be able to finish here. And then he just doesn't finish. He just doesn't seem to have great touch around the basket. But I'm curious to see whether that improves. And then the other one was just 24% from the mid-range, which obviously isn't that great. One thing that he did a lot uh, in Milwaukee that I, I guess like frustrated some fans, but I always thought it was totally fine, I. Uh, He's definitely not shy about some of the shots that he will take. But on yes. a Bucks team, on a Bucks team that was like winning a lot, uh, there was some bad shots that were out there, and it was kind of like Bud would give it the green light. So I was curious about the types of shots he was taking in this offense, because when you mentioned the fact that Sabonis and Fox isn't there, on one hand I look at it and say, okay, yeah, it's tough to get a true read of how he'll fit with all these pieces. But on the other hand, I'm thinking probably would have been a pretty good opportunity for him to showcase what he can do and make some money. Well, it's a really good question, Kane, because as part of the DeMontis Sabonis trade at the trade deadline, the Kings moved on from Buddy Heald, who was the king of green light from shooting uh, from (laughs) beyond three-point range, and he would put up a handful of bad shots a night. Sometimes he'd hit them. Dante DiVincenzo, I'm not saying that he came in and embraced that role, but he certainly stepped into the fold and, and wasn't afraid to chuck some up himself. 
Uh, I don't know if he'll have that much opportunity to chuck, assuming he's playing next to De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis for the majority of his minutes next mm. season, if, if he's still around. So I, I like to believe that that would have been different. But, I mean, all things considered, I'm glad to know that this wasn't DiVincenzo coming from Milwaukee where, let's say, they had a, reg- a regimented system and he only took a handful of shots that were good shots in that system. And then he came to Sacramento and he went, oh, this team sucks. I can get mine here. I'm going to put up a bunch of shots now because I can. This is an opportunity for me to showcase myself. I'm glad to know that this is just kind of who Dante DiVincenzo is. And even with that being said, I never felt that his three-point shooting was egregious. If it had gone in, if more shots had gone in, I would have been certainly happier. Uh, there are some where it's like, okay, if the Kings are any anything close to a good basketball team, they're going to have to cut out shots like that, not just from him, but from anybody. Uh, but overall... I was his his shooting wasn't so noticeable that it became a concern or became a reason for me not to want DiVincenzo to be re-signed. Yeah, I, I think, and this has been the case for a while to me. Uh, whether he takes a step and becomes a, a long-time player in the league that's a really valuable offensive player because he does a lot of little things. He, you mentioned the rebounding already, but defensively he's disruptive and he's got good size, can defend multiple positions, but. Uh, yeah, it would just be Kenny finish within the perimeter because you mentioned the three-point shooting and it was probably around league average. I think it was around 36% with the Kings. But it was better than... He shot better from three than he did from two, which obviously is not something that, that can continue. So uh, I, I think the in-between stuff is definitely going to be uh, the difference for him. Uh, let's get to the contract stuff. I want to ask you where you think his, his price range is going to fall uh, this offseason after I talk about betonline.net, which is number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. I believe the Warriors are still the favorites for the NBA Finals, but you can check it all out at betonline.net along with the latest sports developments, news and odds, including uh, the NBA Finals, as I mentioned, NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, MMA, UFC, boxing. There was a big boxing fight out in Melbourne here the other day. People were very excited about that, but BetOnline... Is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. All right. I'm not going to pretend to be all over the Sacramento Kings financial situation. But how do you see this playing out with Dante? I think you already hinted, and, and it makes perfect sense. I don't think anyone thought that the Kings were trading for Dante DiVincenzo for three months down the track to say, oh, that was nice. Thanks for coming. He's young enough. He's young enough that you suspect uh, that they say that he could be a piece moving forward. And interestingly enough, just from what we saw in Milwaukee, uh, where I thought his price range was going to fall 12 months ago, uh, I don't think that it's going to be there anymore. But what do you think? Where do you, how do you think this is going to play out? Yeah, I'm very interested to see this because I don't think, I mean, uh, his injury hurts his bottom line, but I think helps the Kings in this situation. <laughs> yeah. I know Sacramento. I, I mean, I can only really speak on what I know from Kings general manager, Mont- Dante, or rather Monty McNair. Uh, and he is of the mindset that he likes to keep himself flexible, which means keeping your money and your finances and your, in your, uh, your, your cap sheet as <laughs> flexible as possible. So I can't see, McNair being willing to overpay drastically or to match any kind of massive uh, offer that DiVincenzo is going to get. But I also imagine that McNair is 
is is gambling or, or betting on the fact that DiVincenzo won't get that significant of an offer from anywhere in the league. I do think there will be interest that might drive off the price or drive up the price a little bit. Plus, we have a thing called the Sacramento tax here, which is if you're going to stay in Sacramento, if you're going to play for the Kings, you or, or if you want him to stay in Sacramento and play for the Kings, the Kings typically have to pay maybe a little bit more just to get him to sign that bottom line. So maybe that's the case. I, I don't know necessarily a dollar figure. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine him making too much more than i don't know 12 13 million a year and and i there there's certainly a number that i wouldn't go above which is like the 16 to 18 million dollar range um which i i think is kind of high i also i don't know necessarily the length of the contract that both sides would be interested in what's funny and maybe not funny but we kind of roll our eyes at it here is there was the news that came out at the end of the season right that Dante DiVincenzo's camp wasn't happy with the Sacramento Kings because they feel that the Kings were intentionally driving down his value by not starting him. And one thing I will say is I can see that definitely being the case. I'm not saying that the Kings are, I'm not trying to buy into a conspiracy theory to say that the Kings are trying to hold DiVincenzo back in any way. It made absolutely zero sense that uh, Justin Holiday was starting to end the season. Dante DiVincenzo came in and started, I think, one game when Justin Holiday was out because of an injury and he had his best game as a King, as a starter next to Davion Mitchell. And then Justin Holiday came back and it was right back to the bench for DiVincenzo, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, so maybe his camp has a point. Dante didn't give any indication that he was unhappy. He didn't say anything to the media or, or give any indication that he, he didn't want to come back. Uh, so I'm hoping and, and believing that all of that is going to blow over. But if the Kings, I guess, can save themselves a few hundred thousand dollars by saying, hey, look at this guy. He couldn't even start for us. Maybe that's the play. I don't know. But it seems like a very Kingsy thing to do. Yeah, it's really interesting. I remember when we were discussing um, potentially what Dante could make uh, going back to sort of 12 months ago. And I thought that he was going to fall in that you know, 14, 15 million dollar range. Uh, and I and I thought that and this was the case for a few players. I think back to, to Thon Maker was another guy who requested a trade and it's not exactly out there whether Dante requested the trade I, I think that he was very happy to move on that's that's my understanding and it's always interesting when you leave a team that is a contender and I always thought that there was a definite role there for Dante in Milwaukee and to be able to stay there and had a impressive playoffs then he probably is getting that 15 million dollars and now uh you know he went to Sacramento I wouldn't say he dominated i wouldn't say it was a, a dominant few months stretch there for him so it's interesting to see where he falls i would imagine that he's going to fall closer to the 10 million dollar range than 15 but um we shall see which by the way i think if you can get dante divincenzo for multiple years around that 10 million dollar mark i think it's great i think that's that's i think that's a the really reasonable contract and something that you would hope the sacramento kings would lock in pretty quickly well, and this is where I have a question for you, Kane, is is a lot of uh, the element of what's next for Dante DiVincenzo, uh, I think, ties into the Kings' new hiring of, of Mike Brown as a head coach. And, and Mike Brown is known as a defensive-minded coach. He's known for favoring and, and liking players on his roster that are sca- scrappy, that are hard workers. It's my belief that Davion Mitchell is going to be like a perfect fit in Mike Brown's system. And I thought about it a little bit like Dante DiVincenzo seems like someone who will really benefit from playing in Brown's system. I don't expect you to be an expert on Mike Brown and his coaching, but the idea that the Kings are trying to change their culture. Defensively, they've been dreadful for 16 seasons. They're trying to establish a winning culture, and they're trying to do that by bringing in a head coach who clearly 
has experience on the defensive end of the floor. The Kings, they have their biggest pieces are more known for their offense than their defense. Welcome to the NBA. That's the way of the world, right? The Sacramento <laughs> Kings are still going to try and score as many points as possible and be exciting in that sense. But they know that they can't succeed even with a top 10 offense when they have the 28th, 29th, or 30th defense in the league every single year. So in your mind, Dante DiVincenzo as not the guy, not the culture changer, but one of the guys that Mike Brown can incorporate in more of a defensive-minded system to change the Kings culture a little bit. How do you think he can favor in, in, in that kind of situation? Yeah, one of the reasons why I thought Dante was going to be a long-term player in this league, and I thought that he could have been a long-term impact player for the Bucks, was because Bud liked him, and Bud trusted him straight away in his rookie season because he played defense. And that's, as you pointed to, that's not always the case uh, for guys coming out of the draft. I wouldn't say that it's hard to describe Dante as a defensive player. You probably saw bits and pieces of it, and I'm not sure how it fit uh, with the guys you had playing at the time, but uh, he's not he's not locking anyone down. He's not a Drew Holiday, uh, but he just makes plays. He makes defensive plays. His hands are always in everything. He seems to uh, read, read the, the eyes of the, the opposition pretty well, and he jumps in those passing lanes, and the, the reason why he was so valuable for the Bucks in the defensive end was because yeah, at times he would take risks and it wouldn't work out and it would look really bad. But uh, on other occasions, when he is getting those steals and getting those deflections, and he was, it's such a funny stat, but he was always near the top of the league for deflections, you know, per 36 or whatever it was because <laughs> his hands were everywhere. But for the Bucks, when you got Giannis, it was incredibly valuable because when, when he's starting... Uh, transition plays and causing turnovers. It was causing havoc for the opposition. So uh, he's a bit of a risk taker defensively. Again, I'm not sure he's going to be the best defensive player on any particular team, but uh, he tries really hard and he works hard on that end. He doesn't he doesn't uh, take plays off, which I would imagine Mike Brown would would enjoy. Yeah, I, I, what I like about Dante DiVincenzo is that I know I have an established NBA player on my roster when I have Dante on my squad. Now there's mm -hmm. questions about whether or not he can be the starter for the Kings, and are the Kings any good if Dante DiVincenzo is your starting two guard? Well, the Bucks were pretty good for a while with Dante DiVincenzo as their starting two, but we know that they had a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo that can make almost anybody at that spot look pretty darn good. So I, I don't think the expectations are overly high for DiVincenzo necessarily. I think he does have opportunity here that he might not have anywhere else or in too many other locations in the league because the Kings could use him as a starter and do want to win right away. So we know he's going to be an important piece on hopefully a winning product. Uh, so I like the value that DiVincenzo has, and I think the Kings are willing to pay for that value. I also think that like the situation for Rashawn Holmes last offseason, that the Kings are willing to gamble on the market because with the amount of other free agents and the amount of money that's already locked up in the league currently, there might not be too many teams that are willing to throw the bag at DiVincenzo. So his value being down plus the injury means the Kings can get an asset for relatively cheap. It's a move that's worked for uh, Monty McNair in the past. So I think it would certainly benefit the Kings if they can figure it out again. But like I said earlier, I, I don't see a scenario where Dante DiVincenzo is not a king. Yeah, and you've mentioned health a couple of times, and this is obviously the other thing that's cost him money over the last few seasons because he just hasn't been able to play. He wasn't a part of – well, he was for a couple of games, but he wasn't a part of the championship run there when he had the, the ankle injury as well. So he just – even back to college, he just has not been able to stay healthy. So that's clearly uh, – when you talk about – Maybe the lack of development in terms of his scoring efficiency and the shot selection, all those types of things. Uh, he also hasn't had a great run at it. And uh, I think that that's, uh, that's obviously worth acknowledging. Uh, we should acknowledge the 
uh, the Big Board Podcast, the Locked On Big Board Podcast as uh, well, Matt. Uh, so that's obviously something that people should keep an eye out for and and listen to. But do you have a one name? Is there one name that you've landed on for pick four? Oh, God. I mean, I, I've, I've shouted from the rooftops that I'm a huge Keegan Murray fan. Uh, a lot of people don't believe that Keegan Murray is, is good enough to be taken at number four. A lot of people love the idea of Jaden Ivey there. I tell you what, I, I know for a fact that I'm not a fan of the idea of, of drafting Shaden Sharp, and it's not so much to do with Sharp. It's more to do with the situation. Sacramento Kings have been garbage for 16 years. Are they really in a position to take a flyer <laughs> on a young man who hasn't played in over a year, especially when they have a win-now mandate? Absolutely not. So I hope the Kings avoid Shaden Sharp. Sounds like they are. There are rumors that the Kings are potentially interested in moving up to number two, that they like Chet Holmgren a lot. Kind of makes sense, although there's definitely a risk factor with that too. But I'm a huge fan of Keegan Murray. I love uh, I love what Keegan Murray brings in terms of like that, that theoretical fit at the four spot next to DeMontis Abonis playing alongside De'Aaron Fox, who can make a win-now impact, as much of a win-now impact realistically as a, a rookie can provide. I think Keegan Murray does that. And there are a lot of college basketball analysts that think that he was one of the best, if not the best player in college basketball last season. So for those of you out there who may not think that Keegan Murray has a ceiling of Jaden Ivey, you could be right. Jaden Ivey is explosive. He's fun. The John Morant comparisons are legitimate. I understand them. Uh, And it would be certainly fun to see a Jaden Ivey, De'Aaron Fox backcourt. But I think Keegan Murray has all the opportunity to make an impact day one and still have a high enough ceiling to where maybe when we're looking back at this draft years from now, he's higher up on everybody's board and he's more strongly considered than Jaden Ivey is. So I'm, I'm a huge Keegan Murray fan game. I love it. And uh, I mentioned Jabari Parker once already, and I'm not trying to pick on the poor man, but uh, the Bucks have only really had that one pick. When you get the top five pick and there is a lot of excitement and everyone has their favorites and uh, the Bucks went with Jabari instead of Joel Embiid and, uh, Jabari no longer in the league, so that's uh, that's the way it works sometimes. That, unfortunately, that's Sacramento Kings legend Jabari Parker to you, Ken. <laughs> that's that's true. He played for a few teams, and and he did play for the Boston Celtics this season. So maybe he's about to get a ring. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know whether I would give him one. He he played pretty well against the Bucks on Christmas Day, I believe. But I don't know if the Celtics are giving Jabari a ring. I remember at the start of was it this season? It might have been the start of this season. Maybe it was last season. I honestly don't remember. They all blend together. But we were we were talking to the media, or the media was talking to Coach uh, Coach Walton at the time, uh, and and some of the Kings players, and we were asking like who's been the most impressive during training camp, and almost uh, yeah. everyone universally said Jabari Parker. And here we are thinking, oh my gosh, Jabari's going to re- like revive. It was must have been two years ago. Jabari's going to revitalize his career here in Sacramento, or he's finally going to get opportunity. Maybe he's going to start. Played all of a handful of minutes for the Kings, and that was cut. So I was like, okay, <laughs> well, that was fun. Glad he impressed. Yeah, honestly, I, I've always uh, hoped that he would do well and pick up somewhere, but it looks like that ship has sailed uh, at this point. But this was good. This was informative. I was, um, you know, I like Dante. I want him to do well. Hopefully it's in Sacramento. That would be uh, really nice. And uh, like we said, this was uh, two years into making this trade or 18 months into making. So, uh, you know, he already had wrapped his head around slightly the idea of playing for Sacramento. So it makes sense that he headed out there, but uh, hopefully it works out, but we'll be following uh, that contract situation uh, definitely over here at Locked On Bucks and everyone should uh, jump on board Locked On Kings with Matt and uh, track what'll be an interesting few weeks for Sacramento fans and uh, we'll see what they do at the draft. Matt, you're the best. It's always good to catch up. Absolute pleasure, Kane. Good luck to the Bucks. Go Kings. Who knows?
Pick 24. We are very excited about Pick 24. Who knows what we could get? Uh, like I said, listen to Locked On Kings. Listen to Locked On Bucks. Uh, we've both got stuff coming out right throughout the weekend in the lead up to the draft. So we appreciate all the support there. But for now, for Matt myself, take it easy.